This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Bhanu Baveja, and in this episode, we're going to be taking a high-level look at inflation. UBS is below consensus on their call on inflation for next year, but today we're going to be discussing how energy outlook changes that, and specifically which indicators we're going to be looking at to change our mind. I'm joined by Alan Detmeister and Anna Titareva. Welcome. Uh, UBS has been in team transitory, uh, but energy prices have risen quite a lot, Anna. Uh, how is that changing your view of the world? Uh, are you picking up your inflation numbers and how worried are you about this? Our inflation forecast uh, now 2.4% uh, for this year and 1.8% for next year. Uh, that's a 20 basis point upgrade. Now, uh, we've always expected the peak in this inflation profile to be in November. We're now tracking 3.9%. Now, what's driving this increase? And this comes back to your question uh, of energy prices. This half a percentage point increase is purely based on energy price increase, where 20 basis points are coming from higher gas and electricity prices, and 30 basis points are coming from higher oil prices. When we think about uh, electricity, and gas prices, given that a lot of this is being regulated across many European countries, the pass-through is much slower. Given that a number of European governments have announced uh, various um, emergency measures, including tariff freezes, temporary tax cuts, income support, uh, all of that further uh, weakens the pass-through from wholesale to retail prices. But overall, on the basis of what's been announced so far, we expect uh, these higher tariffs uh, to contribute around 20 basis points to headline inflation in the coming few months. Right. Thank you, Anna. So, um, Alan, are you bothered about this? Are you changing your numbers on the basis of higher energy costs? Yeah. So in the US, the pickup has still been strong, but not near as strong as what Anna is seeing in the UK and Europe. So wholesale natural gas prices have roughly doubled. Um, compared to where we would usually expect them about this time of the year. Oil has been even less. The level of crude oil is quite high, but it's only a little above where it was, say, in the second half of June and July. So kind of the effect, the, the doubling of natural gas prices, if they stay at this level into early next year, that should add something like three-quarters of a percentage point to the headline CPI over the next six to 12 months through rising residential gas prices and electricity prices. Of the natural gas prices that we've seen, we've put you know, about half of this into our forecast in recent months. And we haven't put even more into it because futures prices are not suggesting that this run-up is going to last. Future prices uh, a year out in the US have moved up only about half as much as the spot prices. That said, we're still, you know, we've built some more into the peak in recent uh, recent months, and we expect that, you know, headline CPI is going to peak at something like six percent early next year due to the this run up in uh, energy prices. But energy prices are not the only place where supply shortages are biting inflation. There's also transportation costs, uh, and there's also the shortage of chips. 
So how do you assess the supply curves moving leftwards and its impact on inflation more broadly, not just about energy? Yeah, so on those transportation costs, we've seen like the Harper-Peterson index for container shipping just really soaring um, six to eight times kind of where it was pre-pandemic. But one of my colleagues in our recent compendium looked at this uh, movement into CIF FOB ratio. So this is taking, you know, the cost of the customs value of the items as they come up in the, on the border and saying what's the value of the items versus what's the value of those items, including insurance and freight. And that kind of CIF FOB ratio has not moved up anywhere near as much as kind of the container costs. So that's suggesting that the transportation costs themselves are only going to add something like five basis points, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, to headline inflation in the U.S. So a pretty not not a very huge impact due to the transportation costs. On chips, we're seeing those impact, uh, particularly through auto production, um, recently, and so we've seen some really strong increases in used car, new car prices. We have seen the inventories for chips kind of level off since June. And our uh, semiconductor analysts are expecting that those inventories are starting going to be picking up. Our autos analysts are expecting production to be picking up. That said, for inflation, it's not getting all the way back that matters. It's the change in those backlogs, the change in those supply constraints. And we expect those to be coming down starting early next year. So what's been running up inflation, which we expect to lead to still pretty strong inflation in the fifth, fourth quarter of this year, will lead to inflation being pretty weak as the next year as those bottlenecks come off. Thanks very much, Alan. Uh, Anna, do you see things differently at all in terms of the supply shortages and their impact on inflation? Uh, yes, yeah, so when we think about supply shortages, uh, we tend to look at uh, sort of pass through from higher producer prices because that's clearly where you can see uh, this higher cost feeding through. Uh, our own estimates suggest that 1% increase in producer price inflation uh, adds only around five basis points onto goods inflation. And given the weight of goods, the, the impact on headline inflation is only around one basis point. So very slow and uh, very small in size in terms of this, the pass-through. Now, of course, there are risks that this time around we could see somewhat quicker or stronger pass-through, but that's not something that we are currently seeing in the numbers. So I just want to emphasize that because I don't think it's commonly appreciated. A 1% increase in PPI equates to one basis points increase in HICP. Right, so, so that, that really is a, is a very weak pasture. Okay, so let me, let me try and summarize your views. Uh, natural gas price increases a much bigger issue for Europe than for the US. Uh, you've picked up your numbers, 20 basis points this year and also next year, but that still keeps you uh, below the target for ECB for next year. So this is, this is a minor pickup. Number two, shortages. Um, are, are here, but we are expecting these shortages to begin to ease transportation costs to begin with. Chip shortages may last for a while, but in the fourth quarter of this year, we think even that is going to come down. So clearly, inelastic supply curve, but short-term inelastic, not long-term. Uh, Alan, let me come to you and ask you this slightly difficult question. Um, what is the risk of our view on transitory inflation being wrong and it becoming more permanent? So quite apart from broad shortages of supply, 
what else are we worried about the labor market and so on what are the indicators you're watching that will tell you that our view on transitory is wrong we believe the risk of a permanent rise in inflation to say two and a half average inflation over the next three to five years um, according to say the PCE major, the PED's preferred inflation major, is probably pretty small. So what we're looking at for that is, is there going to be a broadening out of the inflation? So far, it has been confined to a fairly narrow group of goods and a handful of, of services. We expect some broadening out from rents, but not tremendously. So we're watching really kind of these other non-rent services and to see if those start moving moving up. Looking at trimmed means measures is another way of doing that. And those have moved up significantly less. Two other things that we're looking at are inflation expectations. Now, those have risen in the US, but they haven't risen yet at all to worrying levels. And the current level of those expectations is consistent with core PCE inflation in the range of two to two and a quarter percent. So right now, inflation expectations aren't a real worry. The other thing to watch is wage growth. And we haven't seen much wage to price pass through in the US since the early 80s. But if wage growth consistently stays up near 4% and moves up above that, that would probably lead to a reoccurrence of kind of uh, wages leading to higher prices. And you could get into the wage price file. But again, we haven't seen much signs of that yet at this point. Thank you, Alan. Uh, what about you, Anna, in Europe? What are the indicators you're watching? Uh, it's quite similar in Europe, where we're closely monitoring inflation expectations and uh, wage developments. Now, in terms of um, inflation expectations, if we look at, uh, for example, market-based inflation expectations, uh, that has moved uh, quite significantly higher from 1.3% at the start of the year to 1.7% more, more recently. However, uh, us and also what the ECB does, uh, they look at much broader set of inflation expectations, including uh, consumer inflation expectations, industry, and also uh, those of professional forecasters. And there, one sort of key data point that ECB tends to refer to is long-term or five years out inflation expectations. And that uh, the uptick there from 1.6% to 1.8% uh, between pre-COVID and most recently, uh, it does indicate some uplift, but only relatively small. Now, in terms of uh, wage dynamics, um, when we think about uh, sort of pre-COVID times, we've always said that in order uh, for Eurozone headline inflation to uh, pick up uh, more uh, persistently or more sustainably, what we need to see is sustainable increase in Eurozone wage growth. Now, we are closely monitoring uh, Eurozone negotiated wages, and what we see is that throughout the pandemic, uh, wage growth has actually slowed down. So just from above 2% uh, in late 2019 to 1.7% uh, at the end of the second quarter of this year. Is that the last data point you have? That's at the moment, that's the last data point. But then again, when we uh, think about wage rounds, upcoming wage rounds next year, now our view is that uh, the pickup in wage growth is going to be relatively moderate. But at the same time, uh, we do see some risks that if at the time when trade unions go into negotiations, if inflation at that time remains at uh, elevated levels, we could see a somewhat stronger wage uh, settlements that could push wage growth and inflation uh, somewhat higher than we currently anticipate. Okay, so that's the impact on inflation. Now, very recently, uh, 
equities have begun to take a hit in a manner that suggests that the market has begun to worry about demand destruction as a result of higher inflation. Um, I don't know if that's going to last, but do you think investors are right to worry about demand destruction as a result of higher energy prices? And in some quarters in the market, we are starting to hear words like stagflation, which really seems like a bit of a stretch, but love to get your thoughts. Uh, we don't really think it's the case. We think that there is still a strong demand, especially strong pent-up demand. Now, we've done some calculations in terms of excess savings. So these are uh, sort of forced savings that uh, years on households accumulated throughout lockdowns. And we estimate that by the end of the second quarter, uh, in total, uh, years on households accumulated around 750 billion or 6.6% in terms of GDP in this uh, excess savings. So going forward, uh, you know, there is uh, plenty of indications for strong pent-up demand. And we believe that up until now, the constraints were main, mainly on the supply side. So once uh, supply bottlenecks get resolved, uh, we still expect to see very solid uh, private consumption. Alan, what about the US? Yeah, there's been some signs of weakening consumer confidence since the summer, but that's probably more related to the spread of the Delta variant than the high inflation. Where we've seen the strongest inflation has been in goods, particularly motor vehicles, and their demand remains strong. On the energy impact, high oil prices with the US tends to lead to more production in the shale fields. Lastly, um, and perhaps I'll, I'll come to Anna first, because I think this is a bigger issue for Europe, given that ECB is dovish, the Fed is already hawkish. I wanted to ask you about central banks. now. Uh, they're watching inflation expectations, they're watching the rise in energy prices. What is the risk that ECB turns hawkish? So in our view, uh, if ECB starts to see signs that higher energy prices are actually contributing to a very significant pickup in inflation expectations that could then affect uh, wage growth, uh, that would be a worrying sign. Sorry, what, what is a significant pickup in inflation expectations? How would you how would you define significant? I think it would be closer to the new ECB's target of 2%. I mean, the numbers that I mentioned previously, you know, if you look at market-based inflation expectations or uh, professional forecasters, uh, five-year-out inflation forecast, all of these numbers are still uh, well below the ECB's target. Right, wonderful. Um, the Fed's already hawkish. Alan, uh, what do you think the marginal change here is going to be because of higher inflation? Yeah, so we're expecting some pretty strong inflation in the fourth quarter. So we expect that the Fed is likely to become a little bit more hawkish, say, over the next uh, four or five months as we continue to see some strong inflation numbers through early next year. And then as inflation starts to weaken, as labor force participation rate continues to increase, we expect that the Fed is going to turn a little bit more dovish much more by, say, the June meeting and then later in part of next year. Okay, so let me let me try and summarize your views. Uh, neither of you subscribe to inflation becoming more permanent, it seems to me, and both of you are watching wages, uh, negotiated wages in the U.S. and wage growth in uh, negotiated wages in Europe, pardon me, and, and uh, the wage data in the U.S., and also, of course, inflation expectations. Um, few signs of demand being destroyed. The kind of weakness in numbers that you're seeing in Europe right now is probably because of supply shortages more than inflation destroying consumer confidence. But you'd be watching things like uh, European Commission consumer confidence and, and Alan, no real signs of demand destruction as a result of higher energy costs or inflation 
in the US as yet. The Fed likely to become a little more hawkish at the margin um, in Q4 as inflation picks up. And the ECB, you think, is going to look through it because they don't care about higher energy costs. They care about higher energy costs in as much as it impacts second round wages or inflation expectations. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. That was an introduction and overview of inflation with me, Bhanu Baveja, Anna Titareva, and Alan Detmeister. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries, and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS, all rights reserved.